If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. This morning, we are delighted to welcome Reverend Lorraine Sinaceros to Mayflower. Lorraine is our conference minister. She cares deeply about supporting congregations and pastors in our work. She has a Bachelor of Science degree from Northern Arizona University and a Master of Divinity from Claremont School of Theology. She has experience as a pastor, a pediatric chaplain, and conference minister. We are so glad she is here to preach for us and get to know us a little better. Will you bow your heads with me? It's 4th of July Eve, Holy One, and many of us cannot get into the spirit, not even with the promise of sparklers or flyovers. We are overwhelmed, confused, enraged, and, and grieved by the news that apparently pregnant bodies can be regulated, but not factory emissions that a corporation has more voice in elections than a human who votes, that Christian nationalism is becoming the law of the land in the land of the free. So for our prayer this day, we lean on the words of our sister Mary. Our church and our country could use a little mercy now as they sink into a poisoned pit that's going to take forever to climb out. They carry the weight of the faithful who follow them down. We love our church and country, and they could use some mercy now. Every living thing could use a little mercy now. Only the hand of grace can end the race towards another mushroom cloud. People in power, well, they'll do anything to keep their crown. We love life and life itself could use some mercy now. Mercy, Holy One, mercy, please. With tender hearts we pray, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from both the book of Esther and the letter to the Ephesians. Esther 4, 
verse 14b, who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. And from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which God loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, God might show the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in our way of life, to be our way of life. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Good morning, Mayflower UCC. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Lorraine Sneceros, brand new conference minister of the Kansas-Oklahoma Conference, United Church of Christ. Thank you for that reading. That was beautiful. And this morning, I bring greetings from the KO Conference. And when I say that, it's not just my greetings. I bring greetings from all of the member churches that are affiliated and part of the conference. And rest assured that when I go off to the next church, your greetings will go with me. So there you go. Even though you haven't given them yet, <laughs> I'll make the assumption that they are there and I will take them with me. So, so this morning our scripture, the last line of the scripture reading was, for we are what God made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We are created for good works. The text from the letter to the Ephesians is focused on the idea of God's grace bestowed on us, not because we earned it, but because God loves us just the way we are. There are whole semester classes in seminary about this, about grace, unearned, earned, cheap, not cheap. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. I'm not going to take you through a semester's worth of reading. But what I am going to do is I'm going to remind you and remind me, because us pastors often preach the sermons we need to hear. So I'm going to remind us that even as we receive this free gift of God's grace, it does require a response from us. There is a response. And the response is the grace we received is meant to be shared. Sharing the blessing of grace is the good works we are called to do in the world. Now many of us here today, many here in this sanctuary today have been lifelong Christians and some of us might be newer converts to the Christian faith. I don't make assumptions. Some of us come to this through birth and we don't ask questions why, and others have a holy experience sometime in their life that causes them to look for a community of faith that holds the values that they hold. In all of that, it makes no mistake that we are here today this morning. You could have 
It's summer. It's summer Sunday. You could have not been here this morning and you could have rolled in for the party and nobody would have said anything. They would have, they would have welcomed you. But you, but you all right? No, no guilt here, right? There's no, no guilt here. Just gold stars for everyone. There you go. And for those online or who watch this later, it's okay. You're here in that way. But we're here today, this morning, and I don't believe that's a mistake. So at some point over the past two plus years, I imagine you could not gather in person, right? You, you had to go offline, at least in this manner. You had to figure out a different way to meet. Some would say the church was closed. Well, the church was never closed because in truth, you were gathering differently you were coming together and caring for each other, even though you were in your own homes. You were loving each other. You were loving the church. This, as beautiful as it is, is not the church. This, as gorgeous as this is, is the church housed in this. So in all of those years that, two years, two plus years, who would have thought? We kept thinking that first Easter would have been the homecoming, and it wasn't. But in all of that time, we were still the church. We were still moving together. We were doing what we could as we could. We're loving each other from afar, and we are alive in God's love. So as we did that with each other, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus that we're blessed to bring the good news of God, no matter how you do it. But they were just starting with their churches, and so I'm sure they had some rough times as well. So we gather together to show God's love that's given to us freely. Separately or together, we are blessed in our responses to pass that on. But how do we do that? How do we pass that on? Now, I looked at your website, and I know how you pass it on, but I'll talk about that later. So individually, as individual people, how do we pass that blessing on? How do we share that good news? Do we do it through the dreaded e-word evangelism. And I had a pastor say, I'm not afraid of that. Okay, good for you because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for those of us that aren't used to doing that. Do we do it through good preaching? Hopefully, hopefully we, we, the preaching is good and God's word is spread that way. Do we share the message of God's love as to how we've received that love to people that we come into contact with? It's easy to do it with members of this congregation. You speak the same language. You know what that is. But to go out into the grocery store and do it, it's harder. It's embarrassing. It's, it, it feels vulnerable to do that. We in the progressive world tend to be polite Christians. Right? Right? We're polite. We don't impose our beliefs on others. I imagine it would be hard to muster up the courage to talk about God's blessing in our lives without making people wrong. God's blessing in our lives and what that good news means for everyone. I mean, even if the opportunity came up and we recognized it, it would be hard, much less those fleeting moments when after the fact you think, oh, I could have said something. We're not trained to do that. It's hard to do. It's scary to share a part of your life that means so much to you, so much that faith, I mean, I've heard the joke that at the dinner table you don't talk about politics or religion, but this isn't religion, this is love. This is faith. 
This is spirituality. So how do we do that as we come together? There's uncertainty, there's fear, there's need for courage to be able to speak our own truth with love, in love, to those who might not agree with us. It takes courage. So we are not alone in experiencing that uncertainty. The Hebrew Bible is full of women and men who felt they did not have the skill or the talent or the words to accomplish what God called them to do. When God asked Moses to bring Israelites out of slavery, Moses complained that he was slow of speech. He had a tongue that wouldn't work right. Can't you send somebody else? Was his plea. When an angel of God told Gideon he was a mighty warrior, now, make no mistake, Gideon was a warrior, but he didn't think he was mighty. And in his mightiness, he would save Israel. Gideon was fearful and believed he was too weak to accomplish God's will. Jeremiah told God, I'm too young. I don't know what, how to speak. I don't know what to say when God told him to be a prophet. They didn't know what to say. They felt too weak. They were too fearful, and they believed, some of them believed they were too young. No experience. God, go ask someone else. Even if I don't see them behind me, ask someone else. I'm not going to point to you all. That's not what that is. Ask somebody else. I can't do this. And I have to tell you, when I was called here to Kansas, Oklahoma, I thought, can I do that? Can I do that? I'm from Southern California, y'all. This is... The Midwest is very different. I'm just going to put that out there. But in my heart of hearts, I believe that if I couldn't do it, I would not have been called. And so I'm here today. So the people who were called to do God's work were regular people with self-doubts and uncertainties of their own. They don't seem like regular people now, Moses and Jeremiah. I mean, now they're at greatness, they're in the Bible, we read about them all the time, but before that, they were just like us, going about their world, going about their life, trying to do the best they could. Now in the scriptures, God's presence was real and tangible when God called people to action. God's presence was felt in a way that reassured people that made no, there was no doubt God spoke to them. And that gave them courage to move forward. In our world today, the presence of God is still here with us. We say it in our liturgy. We say it in our prayers. We say it with each other when we're going through doubts and hard times. But it's not made known to us in the same way it was in the Hebrew scriptures. Angels don't visit us. At least I don't think so, and if they do, please tell me. Please, I would love to hear that. We don't get the burning bush. We don't get that real tangible feeling. What we get is this intuitiveness. That when you get quiet enough, you can hear. And sometimes it's, it's scary. It's asking you to do things that, wait, what? Not me, someone else. But it's still God speaking. God is still present with us. In the Hebrew scriptures, there's a story of Esther. Does anybody here, are you familiar with the story of Esther? Yeah? No? Okay. I'll give you the, uh, the short version. 
I won't read the whole thing. So in the story of Esther, God was not seen or heard, but God's presence was very, very real. It's one of the few stories where there isn't a burning bush or there isn't a visitation, that the people of God stopped to listen and moved with that and trusted that. So I'm going to offer you this story so you can hold it in your heart, so you can contemplate it when you face fears of your own, whether in your personal life or on your faith journey, that God is present and we are not alone. So the Cliff Notes version reads much like an ancient soap opera or a reality show, depending on how old you are. The story opens with the account of a royal feast that lasts for seven days, and on the last day, the king, who was very drunk, orders his queen, Vashti, to display her royal beauty before the, before the guests. And Vashti said, nope, nope, I'm not doing that, no. And the king was furious. And of course, all of his minions behind him were saying, you're going to let her do that? You're going to let her do that? What if, if she can deny you, what's everybody else going to do? So the king creates a decree that she's going to be banished, and he needs to find a new queen. Now, if you really read the story, I'm not sure the king ever thinks for himself, but that's another sermon. <laughs> so he banishes her. He says, okay, all the beautiful women from the rain, uh, from across the land, bring them to me and I will pick my new queen. So from all these women, um, there is one that is brought to him and she is Esther. Now, it's her cousin or uncle or family member because it changes depending on what version you read. Her family member brings her before the king but tells her, don't let them know. Don't let him know you're Jewish going to keep that quiet. The king is smitten with her. He thinks she's beautiful, and she's the new queen. So after she's made king, Mordecai, her family member, who's now employed with, of course, the royal court, hears of a plot that puts the king in danger. Mordecai goes to to uh, Esther and says, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Esther tells the king the plot is foiled, so everything is going really well. During all this time, there's a man in the royal court named Haman, and he's been promoted to a very, very high place in the government. And it's been decreed that whenever he passes anyone, they are to bow, completely to bow. And of course, that's the king's decree, so people are doing it. But when he comes to Mordecai, Mordecai is like, no, I bow to one, and that's to God. I won't bow to you. So, of course, that makes Haman very, very angry, and he vows to destroy Mordecai. And in his rage, he talks the king into putting out another decree that all Jews would be put to death. And so Haman thinks, well, that'll teach Mordecai. Maybe he'll be the last one to go. And then he'll watch everybody else die before him because he would not honor me as I deserve to be honored. So Mordecai hears of this plan, goes to Esther and tells Esther, you have to do something, Esther. All of our people are in danger. You have to do something. And Esther, she says, I, I can't, I can't. There is another decree. There's, boy, this kingdom just had decrees after each other. No one can go before the king without being called. 
And if they do, they'll be put to death. What you're asking me to do is too dangerous. I can't do that. And her family member says, but Esther, you have to. We're going to die. Whether you do this or not, we might die. And if somebody else does it, maybe that's why you're queen. Maybe that's why this happened, for this very reason, so you can make a difference. And so Esther takes that in, goes off, and she says, let me, let me work on this, let me think on this. Have the people fast and pray. My women, my handmaidens and I will fast and pray, and then we'll move forward. So they do that. For a few days, she, she goes in, and she prays, and what do I do, how do I do this? And then the plan comes to her. So she goes to the king, and she, goes, and she knows she can't go before the king without being called, so she stands in the doorway looking very beautiful, right? I mean, this reality show, perfect. And she kind of peeks, and the king sees her, and he's smitten all over again, so he calls her forward. So that's how she was able to talk to him. She invites him to a feast, him and Haman. They come and they feast. They're happy. They go away. She invites them to another feast. They come and they feast and they're happy. And she tells the king in front of his official, this is what this man is doing. This is what is happening. This is what's going to happen to our people. And the king is, what? No, no, that can't happen. So Haman's is dispatched. That's all I'm going to say. The plot is foiled. She does what she's called to do. But she took that to heart. Maybe that's why I'm here today. That's why I say, I don't think there's a mistake. You're all here today. And I don't know how or why, but there's no mistake. I'm here today. Or that I'm in Kansas, Oklahoma, and don't tell, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but Esther didn't know what it meant either. And I'm not saying that I'm going to save a people. I'm just saying that I think God works through us in ways that we have no understanding, mm -hmm. that we are called silently. And, and it, typically, it's our intuition that's like, oh, oh, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to go here. I think I'm going to say something today that could change a life, that could change a trajectory, that could matter in ways that you will never understand. And so Esther didn't find the courage on her own to do what she needed to do. She fasted, she prayed, she listened, she got quiet, and she trusted, which I think is what, what we are called to do. And sometimes that's the only thing we can start with, mm -hmm. is to get quiet and to pray and to know what's on our heart. And so as we heard in our scripture this morning, God's blessings are given to us, Esther had that blessing. She was made queen um, to share those with others. And so often I go to churches who are very small and, very, and they're struggling, and I remind them of the things that they could be doing. Now I have to tell you, I don't have to do that here. I looked at your website, and I was blown away. I talked to your pastor, and it's like, what? what? You all are doing so many things. You are already blessing others because you are blessed. Now, I'm just going to go through a few of these things, and you're all going to say, well, we know that, I know that, but I think it might be different when you hear somebody you don't know mm -hmm. 
telling you how important the work you're doing is. Mayflower United Church of Christ is a church that has done the hard work of connecting and caring for those who find their way into this body, into this community of faith. You have a Sunday school for adults and children, and your children are welcome into the big church. That's what I called it when I was growing up. <laughs> this was the big church. And then they retired to a, an age-appropriate place where they can learn further. You provide them a space in worship that gives them dignity and peace, and they can learn what the big church is about. And they're not automatically shuttled off to someplace else. You have a youth group that teaches and models God's love in the world, and several times a month your women gather together in connection. Now, you have, what, three women's groups? Two. Two? Two. But that's one more than many, and sometimes <laughs> two more than many. So you have places so your women can come and find what's comfortable for them, what works for them, where they can connect, where they can share with each other. Men come together for a meal to break bread once a month. And I believe you talk about just about anything and everything from the, jo the joys of life to perplexing challenges that you're facing. This congregation, you read together, you bake, break bread together, you laugh together, you cry together, you make space for those among you to find a group that's comfortable for them. You, my friends, are a model of successful small group work, the creation of small groups that's the heartbeat of a flourishing, vibrant church. And I'll let you in on a little secret. That's what the megachurches do really well. They do small groups really well, so people can float in and float out, and they find space for themselves with whatever's going on in their life, and then they leave again. Um, you do all of that really well. So this is a place where people in the congregation can come and feel loved and connected to something greater than themselves. And that's not even counting this morning. That's not even counting worship. Those are the things that happen outside of worship, and I would argue that it's all worship. So that's what you do with each other, among each other. Now this congregation is as vibrant out in the community as you are with each other. In preparation for my time with you, I asked Pastor Lori to share what the congregation has done that's required courage, and she shared with me your work with the Homeless Alliance and that's an organization um, that works with people who are experiencing life in Oklahoma without shelter. Now, I'm, I'm new to this part of the country. Most recently, I came from Wisconsin, which, where they have a six-month winter. You have a six-month summer. <laughs> so it's flipped. Um, and so now that I'm experiencing the first summer here in Oklahoma and Kansas, the unforgiving nature and the rapid change in, changes in your weather are inspiring, awe-inspiring, and frightening at the same time. And I have found the land and the weather beautiful, and I'm grateful to be here, immensely grateful to be here. Driving the vast spaces between churches is just gorgeous, gorgeous land. And I can enjoy it because I have a home to live in. But many of our siblings do not. 
I, can't, I cannot imagine the stressors and the pain that's part and parcel to being living unsheltered. This congregation is working with that, is helping with that, supporting people who are experiencing that. So the long time partnering with the Homeless Alliance and now you're contemplating a partnership with Joe's Addiction? Yes? I went to their website and uh, they're doing amazing work. I hope your partnership works out. I don't know where you are in the conversations, but they're also doing work with people who Jesus has called us to minister to, with, become a part of. And so through those organizations and other things that you're doing, you, you have Meals on Wheels. You're ministering to people who are quickly moving to the margins. Now, my parents in California had received their meals from Meals on Wheels, and they would not have thought himself on the margins until they couldn't cook for themselves anymore. And so that organization brings so much. Even that friendly face that brings that meal at the midday, my mom so looked forward to that. She felt that man loved her and was bringing food just for her. And I'm sure that that's what's happening to the people that you're ministering to by taking meals to them. This congregation has taken seriously Jesus' call to love your neighbor, the alien among us. Alien, what an odd word. The people who have had to leave their home countries because of force, because of war, because of danger, those people among us making a long-term commitment to help afghan families resettle in oklahoma must have taken a great deal of courage i'm just learning what it, life is like in the middle of the country and i think being progressive here takes a great deal of courage and to step out and to do that work is even more inspiring to me working with those families who are forced to leave their homes and find themselves a world away from everything they hold dear, everything they knew in their life is no small feat. Helping them with everything from taxes, transportation, filling out forms, going to the doctor with them, postnatal, prenatal, actually listening to what the families need not telling them, but listening to what they need, working to help them maintain and sustain their traditions. Boy, if that's not passing on blessings, that's amazing. Think, it's presumptuous of me to thank you for that because that's the work you're called to do whether I showed up here or not. But I have to tell you, it's just inspiring to read, to learn that that's the work you're doing. It's more of a blessing. What you're doing is more than a blessing, but I don't have the word to describe that. Giving them a semblance of a life back, loving them where they are, and hearing what they need is truly providing the grace of God. It doesn't even matter if they believe what you do. God's grace just goes out. In addition to all of this, I've learned Mayflower is embarking on the long journey of becoming a more physically programmatically, I'll say that fast three times, accessible congregation through the United Church of Christ's wise and accessible to all
programs. Wow, that work requires a sea change in attitude that most of us are not even aware that we need. The willingness to be open to what we don't know and to see the world through the eyes of our siblings who have been created differently than us can be frightening. But it's life-giving, and it's life-giving. It takes real courage to realize that how we are, how we can move through, and I say we because I, too, find myself forgetting, move through the world with relative ease, and calling this normal is not correct. This is not normal. I'm not even sure what normal is anymore. This is just who I am, and that is who they are, and they need to be able to move freely. Whoever they are, whether it's hearing impaired, whether they have physical disabilities, whether they have emotional, whether they have anything, whatever it may be, seeing us all as all of us are normal differently takes courage. I mean, I've had, I have a 30-year-old daughter that loves to correct me. <laughs> she just, I mean, she just loves to correct me. And when I say something that's, that sounds like ableism, she'll say, Mom, stop. Oh, okay. I, you know, I didn't mean anything by that, but that's just how conditioned a woman of my age has been. And I'm, I'm sure, I hope I'm not the only one that's willing to hear that correction that's able to open up my mind to think, oh, that's right, I never thought about it that way. Okay, let me rephrase that. So like Esther before us, I'm gonna bring Esther back into, us, to, into our place this morning. God is always present, even if she is not, she is not heard correctly, or clearly like she was heard in the Hebrew scriptures, although they didn't call her she then. God is always present, moving through us and with us. And in community, we can move mountains. Now this morning as I was preparing for coming here, and, and this, I'm preaching on courage to all of the congregations I go to this year because that was the annual meeting theme last year. And as our theme changes this year, it'll go off differently. And I shift it and change it to fit so that each congregation can see themselves and can hear Hope, hopefully, in my words. This morning, on the eve of the 4th of July, I had to sit with it this morning. It, it's not, I mean, you could have called this canned, and it, part of it was, but with the things that I've been reading, it's up to us in the progressive faith world to take God back, to take the scriptures back, to the true meaning of Jesus and who he was and what he meant and what he was working for in his world that translates beautifully in our own. We're running out of time, people. Those of us who have felt like we haven't had rights ever, it's spreading. It's including women. It's spreading. It's taking pieces and chunks of all of us now that you can't do this and you can't do that because there's a small number of people in power saying, this is what I believe and therefore I decree it should be so.
So those of us in the progressive world, it's our call, and I believe I'm safe doing that here because this is as progressive as you The work you all are doing is just amazing. We have to bring God back to God's love of those who are marginalized, God's love of, the, of justice for all people, all people. Because if we don't, it's not going to happen. It just won't. Join with me in prayer. Loving, ever-present God, we give thanks for your presence among us. Today, your scripture, through your scripture, we're reminded of your blessings that are poured on us through the gift of grace. We know you are the provider of new ideas, the giver of strength, and the source of courage we need to publicly shine your light. We invite the Holy Spirit this morning to blow through this gathered body of believers like she did so long ago with the apostles. Blow away our fears, energize our spirits, and continue to move us into action that causes the world around us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt we live by your love and we are called to your justice. In all of this, we are steadfast in the knowledge that you are present with us, quiet and steady. You are present with us, helping us to be courageous in the work you have called us to do. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.